This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. Before we begin this week's episode, I want you to know that we are shifting to a bi-weekly schedule. I started two new income earning projects which require considerable time and attention. The time needed for this doesn't make a weekly show feasible right now, especially considering how many hours I put into researching each show guest. Changing the schedule provides me some much needed breathing room and ensures that we always release an episode on schedule. So thank you for your understanding and support. Now, food is an important part of our lives in in various cultures, and being able to share that with others is one of the things that we've all missed out on over the past year. Though eating a delicious meal is always a pleasure, it's the company that we share it with that makes it all the more memorable and special. It's the culture around food that is one of the fascinating things to explore when traveling or even trying out a new restaurant with friends. The culture around food is what fascinates photographer Erin Ng. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, she has documented the diverse and tasty food offerings in one of the most dynamic communities in the country. Looking at her work and hearing her story reminds me of things to look forward to in the weeks and the months to come. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. But I love I love food, and I, I love people right, me photograph too. food. People <laughs> photograph food well, but you know, for me, especially especially now because of COVID and all this stuff, mm-hmm. I realize that one of the things that I miss most about food is sitting down with other people. Oh, that's and that's just, the main thing. Mm-hmm. And just sitting down there and talking and having a nice glass of wine and just yep. extending it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things that attracts me to people who photograph not so much food but food culture Mm -hmm. because i think that that's really what's at the heart of what drives a lot of people absolutely that's why i do it honestly and i'm I'm, I'm wondering what was the food culture like when you when you grew up oh well food is a huge part of my household um especially since i grew up with my grandmother around she has nine kids and a lot of them (laughs) yeah so I have lots of aunts and uncles and quite a few of them live within like a 10 minute radius of me. So there were a lot of aunts and uncles, cousins flowing into the house. And it was always like my grandma's greatest joy to cook for everybody, as I think many grandmothers feel. That was like the heart of our family gatherings was was around the table and everyone cooking, everyone eating together. So I grew up around a lot of food, a lot of cooking and a lot of stories around food, I think. Yeah. I think that's what really attracted me to even shooting food photography because it was always the people and the stories and the history and the everything that like connected at the plate that made it so interesting for me. I mean, besides, obviously, it's beautiful to shoot and fun and delicious. Mm-hmm. The best part, I think, about my job is meeting the people behind the food. I, yeah. I yeah, would definitely say that's my my passion. What heritage uh, are you? What was the food? What was the cuisine? It was Chinese food and specifically it was Cantonese style food. My family is from Hong Kong. My grandmother is from Guangzhou, from the Guangdong province, which is like Southern China. Mm -hmm. It borders on Hong Kong. So yeah, a lot of Cantonese food, a lot of Hong Kong food. Grew up going to like Hong Kong cafes, which in itself are very interesting because it's a mixture of British colonialism plus Chinese food and how, you know, a lot of locals in Hong Kong kind of combined that culture into sort of this fusion cuisine. Um, So I grew up on that stuff. Grew up on like pineapple buns, (laughs) grew up on macaroni soup, 
grew up on milk teas, things like that. That's stuff that I've never had. That's completely you on should, my hundred percent. You need to try this delicious stuff. I, I am such a neophyte. I'm just American Chinese food, you know, and yeah. I know that it's just like, it's a bastardization of probably what you grew <laughs> up with, but well, it's its, its own yeah. thing. I will say that it's its own thing. And it kind of evolved from, you know, people needing to adapt food, Chinese people needing to adapt food for an American palate. And, you know, I, it's, it's its own, own category. And I won't say it's like bad. Cause I, there's food that I absolutely enjoy that is more American, Asian American food, but yeah, yeah. I would say it's de definitely different. Yeah. My, my relationship with my parents are Dominican, both my, mm -hmm. both my parents. Mm -hmm. So I remember the flavors. I remember the smells, mm -hmm. but one of the most best memory that I have with, with food is I grew up in the seventies. So mm -hmm. that's when women were still like dressing up when mm -hmm. they would go to a house, house party. So uh -huh. they're in heels and they're in dresses. And my mother's one of several sisters. I think they're probably uh -huh. five or six sisters. And I remember very vividly them all being in the kitchen, all with their hair done and their dresses and their shoes. Mm -hmm. And they're in there working around this small kitchen and they're cooking and they're gossiping and they're mm -hmm. laughing. <laughs> and then all the men are like in the living room sitting there sipping on rum, talking yep. politics. But mm -hmm. all I want, all I, and like the kitchen was like no man's land. <laughs> yeah. And as a kid, I just like, I felt like I can, I can get in there because it seems that was the place to be. Yeah. You know, that, and was, I, I, that was where the action was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That was same for me. Totally same for me. It's like all my aunts in there, everyone was cooking, everyone. It, it, and because they like know each other, they know how to like get out of each other's way because yeah, like you know yeah, when it's like uh -huh. too many cooks in the kitchen it can get like heated in there right but like it's mm -hmm. just like watching them they like all had their stations they all knew what they were doing everyone had like the dish that they were you know contributing to and like i i grew up just seeing that and that's why i think it's been so difficult in this pandemic because you don't really realize like how important that really is until you realize one day like i haven't had a family dinner in like months we haven't yeah. been able to gather and gathering is just so important and food gathers, you know? So that's been a huge blow, I think, to well, me personally and just society in general, because that was such a means of gathering people together and being in community and without eating together, it's just so much was lost. When you started finding yourself gravitating to photographing food and food culture, did mm -hmm. you immediately make that connection between the relationship with food and culture? And, and Or was it more that you said, I really like photographing food and then as an extension, you realized it was could be so much more. I think I was attracted to food first and foremost because of the stories. I started out, my background, um, I have a journalism background because I was working at the newspaper at UCLA. So I got to shoot a lot of different things for different beats at the time. So it was like shooting sports, I was shooting lifestyle, entertainment, news, so lots of different things. But when it came to like food and featuring restaurants and the people behind them, those were the stories that were the most interesting to me. Just hearing about people's culture, hearing about people's families, hearing about like how they interacted with their food, what ingredients they use, like everything about that was so interesting to me. And then at the same time, that was when like Netflix was coming out with a lot of food yeah. documentary shows. I watched like every single one of them. One of the ones that I really loved in the beginning was Mind of a Chef, which was put oh, out yeah. by, have you heard of that one? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, Chef uh, David Chang and then Renee Redzepi, and they like just featured a lot of really cool chefs and different cooks and farmers and people who were making food and like featured their stories. And I was just like completely captivated by by that. And I think from there, really, it propelled me into working for magazines and people who were really telling food stories. Uh, and that's kind of where it rolled into where I am today, where I'm shooting food mainly, but still really, I think at the heart of it, wanting to to tell stories, wanting to tell stories of people and learn about people. I think that's what really keeps me loving what I do. Yeah. And it seems to be like a great choice if you like people and you like stories. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, yeah. There's there's no way of being able to jumpstart a conversation than to talk with people about their food. 
yeah the stuff that they're passionate about forget politics you know forget Mm -hmm. all that stuff it's like let's talk about food and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden everyone is just like having a really good time just talking about their, their favorite meal, their favorite recipes, yeah. stuff they remember from a kid to, as kids, or uh, a trip, you know, a trip that they took, and this wonderful meal that they had at a restaurant or something like that. So, yep, I agree. It's the thing that connects us all, right? There, I feel like there are very few things that connect all of us, but like everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to eat. Everybody has food memories, food stories, and although you know everyone has, you know, the world is divided on a lot of things. Food is that one equalizer that I think people can talk about and meet up on and and be like, you know what, at the very least, like we all can talk about the things that we enjoy to eat. We can talk about growing up and the memories that we had with the people around us, with our families. We can talk about our different cultures because of food. And that just leads to like, I think conversation where you get to learn about a person and the complexities of a person and it's just through the gateway of food you know and i think that's yeah. that's such a cool thing about it and you were really young when you picked up a camera you're on four or five or something when you started uh, taking- how how old i was when yeah. i started taking it uh no i didn't start taking photos i got my first camera when i was in fifth grade oh fifth grade okay fifth grade yeah fifth grade because my dad uh is a hobbyist and he always had cameras around the house so he got me my first camera because i think i was playing around with his too much um (laughs) (laughs) in fifth grade my first point and shoot was always i always had it on me i was always documenting my friends so i have a lot of really embarrassing like (laughs) photographs from like fourth fifth grade all the way incriminating evidence we call it totally incriminating evidence they're (laughs) locked away in deep archives I, I didn't start really taking it seriously, I think, into coll- uh, when I got into college, when I joined the newspaper and started doing projects and taking on stories and really exploring different types of photography there. So how did you sort of find your way into that particular world? You know, because, you know, photography is pretty broad. Yeah. All of it has its genres, but, yeah. you, know, f- you know, food journalism, food culture, it's pretty mm-hmm. small. Yeah, and and find, trying to find a way a way in can be can be difficult. It can be fit, mm-hmm. difficult for any kind of photography. But I'm right. wondering what kind of challenges you faced when you started entering that world. Well, I consider myself really, really blessed because I think I was in the right place at the right time to get into food photography. In college, I told you I was doing all sorts of photography for the newspaper. And actually, I was studying to potentially go into medicine. And I thought, okay, I have to go to grad school for that. So let me do my last hurrah um, before I apply to school. So I came back to San Francisco and I found a food photographer who I really, really liked. I saw her work, um, was amazing. Her name is Marin Caruso. And I just reached out to her uh, the summer before my senior year. And I said, could I just come by your studio and help you this summer? I just would love to be around you and like see how you work. And the funny thing was, I kind of introduced myself. I told her, uh, you know, I was at UCLA and I was doing journalism um, on the side. And she turned out to be an alumni and also uh-huh. was at the at the Daily Bruin, which was the newspaper, and was also a photo editor, which was what I was doing at the time. So that little connection really uh, helped me because she was like, you know what? Yeah, why don't you come on over this summer and like help me out? And so from there, that was where I got my first taste of what food photography looked like, what the business looked like, what commercial photography looked like. She has this beautiful studio in San Francisco. And um, that summer, she was actually launching a food magazine with some other veterans in the industry, veteran writers, food writers, stylists, designers. And so I just got to be like around that because they were doing that that summer. And so I got to, you know, help out with the magazine. I got to shoot you know, help shoot cookbooks and product packaging and really kind of learned by just being around people in the industry, like how it worked. Because prior to that, I had no idea that like, this is what a commercial shoot was like. I didn't know there were food photographers. Like, obviously, I knew food photographs and that marketing material had to be done by someone. But like, it just never clicked for me that this was a job. Like I started seeing like actual food shoots go down where stylists were, you know, like tweezing lettuce and, you know, all that stuff. And I was just so intrigued. And so that summer was instrumental because it kind of really opened my eyes to like the other possibilities that 
were were there. I didn't know that these were career options because, you know, I was just so I, I, I thought that medicine and, you know, something in the health sciences just was going to have to be my future because that's where I spent most of my time studying. And yeah, it just really in many ways gave me a 180 in life. Uh, and I came back after graduating and basically asked the editor-in-chief of the magazine, Erica Lenkert, yeah. if I could work for the magazine that I interned at, you know, the, the summer before when they were starting it. And she said yes. And that kind of launched me into a whole new career. I, you know, started working at the magazine. I started uh, helping with stories and editing. And because it was a startup magazine, I got to do a lot of things as like their first sort of hire um, that I probably wouldn't be able to do at any other magazine, you know, shoot for a lot of really cool chefs and, you know, shoot feature stories and shoot recipes. And I really got to learn a lot on the job. So Erica was really Erica and Marin were very generous with their um, their time and their know-how and their connections because it allowed me to meet a lot of really wonderful people in the food world that eventually, as I kept working, became my my clients when, you know, people would move around to different jobs and start new ventures. And, you know, those connections I made at the magazine kind of branched off into into the clients and the work that I do even now. As first generation, my parents and I'm, probably your parents, and I'm kind of curious to hear about that. Mm-hmm. When, when you when you decide upon a career that's something that's sort of outside of their wheel well, oh. especially <laughs> something creative, <laughs> mm-hmm. they start going, "What are you doing? Yeah, that's yeah. nice, but how are you going to make some money?" Mm-hmm. And you know, because they come from, you know, they come from a country, and they come to this. And they come to the U.S. with aspirations yeah. not only for themselves and for their children. Yep. And all of a sudden, you start talking about doing something that they just have no concept of. Exactly. So, what was that like for you? Oh, it was definitely uh, tricky in the beginning because uh, <laughs> um, I think very early on, I knew it was important to have multiple revenue streams. I think one of the things I was really grateful for early on was being able to have jobs that were regular and consistent that um, were, I didn't have to always be looking for the next client. So I found a few long-term clients that needed work with social media. And so I kind of basically became their social media manager, managed a lot of their channels and did photography for some food brands. And because of that work, which was stable and I had like a monthly retainer, I was able to, you know, have that regular income come in and also use my time to find like the photography projects that were not as regular because they're more like one-off projects or trying to find clients within food photography that needed more uh, regular work because that takes a lot of time. It's not like you find someone and they're like, yes, let me book you tomorrow. Like a lot of time is spent fostering a lot of relationships with people in the community, networking with decision makers um, who, you know, are working as, you know, the marketing director at, you know, whatever consumer package, good company, like that takes a lot of time. And, you know, for the months where you're not regularly shooting, you, I still needed to have income. So that was really helpful. And I think, you know, you asked earlier about my parents and like how they felt about freelance and like going into a creative direction. I think being able to show them that I was trying to be wise about pursuing this career really helped them understand and be accepting of, yeah, doing photography full time. Because if I didn't have that, I think they would be like, okay, like, this is really like, irregular, you know, work and like, one month, what if you just like, don't have any jobs? Like, you know, that would have, you know, and that does happen sometimes, right? Um, At least earlier in my career, I'm grateful now that I think I have hit a better stride in terms of the clients that I have returning clients that I have, but definitely in the beginning, it, it was a challenge to show my parents like, okay, this is a viable career. <laughs> so how, how did you leverage what you had at the beginning? You know, cause it's, it's, it's not just the photography, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it could be a recent, you know, a recent clip that you're leveraging or a relationship or a recommendation. What did you find that was the most helpful thing to sort of leverage and to use in order to eventually get the opportunities to, to photograph early on. 
for me, I had this one year, I think it was like 2017. I called it my yes year. I just committed to reaching out to like everybody that I had met at the magazine, people that, you know, stylists or just really anyone that was within the food world and just saying hello and putting myself out there and asking like, what opportunities are here? What are some projects you're working on? Like a lot of people especially in the food industry, uh, food publishing world in San Francisco are like one degree of separation from another. And so I think because of that, I was like, when you get in with certain people that know a lot of other people, it's kind of like a nice referral train that like begins to happen, especially if you have worked with them before, especially within uh, restaurants. There are a lot of people who kind of hop to a lot of places. So I think when I worked with one person at, you know, one restaurant, if they moved to another one, they would recommend me to like their chef over there. And then, oh, that chef knows someone who's starting this, you know, consumer packaged good company. And it, it, it the networking part, I think, has been the most helpful for me and putting myself out there and trying to meet as many people as possible, try to like bring value to the businesses that they're starting, especially early on, so that I can grow with them. That has been probably the best thing that I've done in my career. And, you know, just for me personally, I love food. I love restaurants, even though restaurants don't make up like I I don't even know what the breakdown is, but they're not like my bread and butter client. Right. I still shoot commercial things, but like just networking with people in the food space has been so helpful for my career because it leads to other opportunities. And because I'm actually just passionate about restaurants and food and like helping people market their restaurants because I just love them. Like, I think that has afforded me greater opportunity down the line when, you know, other bigger projects need a photographer and they remember, Hey, like Aaron, you know, Aaron does food photography. You know, I can recommend her to a buddy of mine who's starting a spirits company, or I could recommend her to, you know, the, the food tech company that, you know, I also utilize in my business, things like that. How, critical do you think it was to have an established style or was it more important that mm. that they that you produce solid work and could be relied on because a lot the of ladder. okay because mm-hmm. a lot of students are really preoccupied with style right you know, what's my style how do i get my style yeah and i'm wondering you know did you find that you had to wait until you had a style before you could go out there and make it happen mm-hmm You know, to be honest, I feel like I still am establishing my style. I do not feel like I have landed on one style and said, yes, this is the Aaron Ng look. I'm still evolving in many ways and I'm trying different things. You know, I I feel very young in my career and I'm learning so much still. Um, I think the one thing I will say is the most important is like being able to be a people person and networking and being a joy to be with on set has helped the most because to be honest, like a lot of the work, especially commercially clients already have a certain idea of what they want. And, you know, some of my, like the work that they've seen of mine, they know I can produce that style of work, but it may not be a look that I'm like, yeah, this is my look. This is my style. It's something that I know I can produce because I can technically pull off this type of photography. And I want to get to a place in my career where I do have established, do have an established style and people are coming to me and hiring me because of this style. But I think that's something that I have to work towards, especially in the beginning where, you know, I'm not having all the, I'm, I'm not pitching like the biggest, biggest brands, the biggest agencies with like Aaron Ng's style, you know, mm-hmm. right now I'm working towards that. And so I would say, no, it's not so much, I, I guess what I would say, yeah, it's not as important right now in the beginning stages. If you really want to get into commercial photography and make it like a sustainable career, like I feel like you need to get out there and um, just be someone that can produce good work yeah. for clients right now in order to, yeah, keep working so that eventually you you get to a place where your style is what people are coming to you for and hiring you for. And again, I, I'm still evolving in, in establishing that style. Um, so I wouldn't even say like I 
yeah, have like one look that is purely like, oh yeah, this is like earning. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. when, when people talk to you, you know, who have hired you in the past, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that they say they like about either you or your work and why they, they like working with you? I think one thing that people have told me, one thing that people have told me when we are in our pre-production calls is they just really enjoy that. I'm, I get excited when people are excited. And especially since a lot of my clients are food startups, th there's a lot of um, opportunity in the beginning to help create and brand this new uh, this new business. And because I'm excited about it, they sense that. And I think creatively we get to be in partnership. Yeah. And because I bring so much energy when I get excited, I think they're like, okay, cool. Like we're, we're like now like partnering with her to create something new. And like, I, I think that has been one of the reasons that people may uh, you know, after getting on the call, they're like, okay, yeah, like, I think we want to move forward with like planning this shoot this, like, I just got off a call like yesterday where a new startup was talking about doing, you know, they're, they're partnering with a lot of really cool local artisan bakers. And I, because I just love, I, I truly love like the food community in San Francisco. And I actually know quite a bit of these people that they're, they're going to feature on this platform. I, I was just talking to them like, I, this idea is so awesome. Like, this is so cool. Like, I have all these ideas of like how I want to, you know, shoot these things because, yeah. you know, I, I know this brand. Like, I know how I want to portray them. People get excited off of that. And I think that has allowed me to, to book clients. Did that sort of answer? No, that does. That's, answer? That, yeah. no, that, that's solid because I think – because yeah. I think that I know it's people who've not had the experience of actually working for for a client, mm -hmm. they forget that it's not so much about the end product. It's, it's certainly important, mm -hmm. but they they come away remembering the experience. Yeah, and if they had a great experience with you, they'll mm -hmm. want to do it again. They had mm -hmm. a bad experience. That's it, right? The, the images may be fantastic, but yeah. if they felt like you were an ass. You know. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, there are so many, so many talented photographers, right? I think the personality and that experience is what really is going to set photographers apart. I think you're right when, you know, the end product is obviously important. That's what they hired you for. But what will keep them coming back is knowing that Aaron, you know, or whoever this photographer is someone that they like want to continue working with and like can trust with future projects because yeah. like they understand the vision. They are for my product. They like, like what I do. They care about it. And that personal, that, that relationship I think is what is most important with clients. Cause you know, someone else really, you know, could reproduce an image that I can make. I'm sure um, I'm working to a place where I can build my skills up where what I can create is more and more creative and more and more my own and not reproducible. But I think especially in this stage of building my career, I've only been doing commercial photography for like four, four, yeah, four or five years. The relationships are what's most important. The, those people skills, do you feel like they came naturally to you or, or were they something that you sort of had to learn and, and hone? I've always really enjoyed talking to people in general. And I think I've always been someone who gets, you know, as I said, excited when others are excited. So I definitely had to hone them for business purposes. But, you know, even when I was a kid, like I had no problem, like talking to strangers when I was, when I was younger, <laughs> like I was that person. And, and so like now when I, part of my job is talking to strangers, like it doesn't feel super unnatural. In fact, I, I quite enjoy it because I just love meeting different people. I love hearing people's stories. I love trying their food. I love hearing about what projects they're working on. And it's not even for like, you know, it, it's, I, I really do mean it. Like, it's not even because I'm really trying to network with people, even though that's like a nice, like outcome of that. I truly yeah. am like, so intrigued by people who are doing cool things in the food space. Like, when new restaurants open, when food documentaries come out, like, I want to know everything. I really, really enjoy. Yeah, learning about learning about what other uh, exciting things people are doing.
One of the things that I've been learning that is making me a better photographer is how to edit and design a collection of work. With each new photo book that arrives at my doorstep, I consider the choices the photographer and the editors made from the selection of images, how they laid it out on the page, and the choice of fonts and paper stock. Each of these decisions creates a special experience that is so much more than just looking at a nice picture on a page. That's what I experience when receiving a new book from the Charcoal Book Club. These special first edition books include carefully curated content that inspires and challenges. I have yet to be disappointed with any of the titles I've received, and it's given me something to look forward to each month. If you listen to this show, I know how passionate you must feel about photography, and that's why I encourage you to check out what the Charcoal Book Club offers you by becoming a member. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. And if you're not feeling a month's selection, you can swap it out for a different title of a similar value. Visit their website to see what they have offered in the past and what you have to look forward to. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. And thanks to those of you who financially support The Candid Frame. When I tell you that this show wouldn't still be around if it weren't for your help and contributions, I mean it. I've experienced several financial challenges over the last 15 years, and your contributions provided me the means to keep producing the show without having to dip into personal finances. So thank you so much for that. Now, if you've been a listener for years or even months, we can always do with your help. You can help contribute to our work by becoming a Patreon supporter today. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the frame. Just $5 a month from you would make a big difference. Thank you so much for your support and help. You know, one of the things you just said about about the meetings that you have with the clients mm -hmm. and you know they're telling you the idea and you think oh i got these great ideas for how i want to shoot this yeah you know, which which impresses on me that you're not seeing all of these things as cookie cutter oh i'm just going to light these things all the same way yeah and, you know and and i'm wondering when you're in those meetings and everyone's talking about the concept and the idea what are you listening for you know what are the the triggers for you that that translate into those sparks of an idea of how you want to photograph well, I always ask them two things. Like, first of all, I ask them, like, what is the mission of your company? Like, who, what are you trying to solve? And like, who, what is like, if you were to give me like the one sentence, like descriptor of like what your brand is about, like, mm -hmm. what is that? And from there, I think normally I'm talking to the person who is, you know, starting this company, like they go off, right? Because th this is their baby. Like this is their company that they're trying to get off the ground. Oh, I'm speaking for when, you know, it's a, it's a startup food, food company, which is yeah. a, a good amount of my clientele and, and hearing them talk about how excited they are. And like, these are the products we want to push. And these are the people we want to reach. I get a sense of like what the brand imagery is supposed to look like. Like yesterday I came off a call where it's it's a delivery service that they want to they want to start but they want to add the humanity back into it they want to you know not be like an uber eats or a grubhub or anything like that but they really want to feature like these are the artisans behind this food and so i was just thinking about the imagery and how it's not just going to be product photography but it's going to be incorporated with like behind the scenes in the kitchen photography it's going to be uh the the branding of it like there's handwriting there's mm -hmm. it feels humanized you know and so like i started thinking about these things as they were talking and and talking to them about like what i was thinking about imagery and uh, you know we kind of feed off of each other so that's the first question i ask it's like the mission and then i actually ask them like practically like are are there images, are there brands out there that you feel like, you know, you, the, the brand and style and feel and visual of that company aligns with what you're trying to create? And it helps me get a better sense of what, you know, style and branding they're going for. So that's just really helpful for me when we're building like a mood board for, you know, eventually our shot list. Like, 
the type of lighting that they're looking for. Is it going to be minimal propping? Is it going to be super propped out? Is it going to be really, really styled? Is it going to be more rustic? You know, that sort of thing. So those two questions help me a lot when, when we're in like pre, like the pre-production phase yeah. and meeting. Yeah. How, how much research did you put into understanding or learning about the cuisine or say the chef in terms of your own prep in terms of information that you, that you could find helpful in, in terms of the shoot? I'll do my due diligence to like know about like the basics of their cuisine, but I think a lot of my education will come directly from the client. Like I want to know exactly what they think about their food and what is important for, for them and yeah. their, you know, whether it's their company or their restaurant, because I don't want to misunderstand or misinterpret like, oh, you know, like if they tell me it's Japanese cuisine, but like I'm researching like the wrong region and like what they're doing specifically is a, a certain branch of Japanese cuisine. I'd rather just hear from them like, oh, we do kaiseki style sushi. And like, I need to understand like from their point of view, like what elements are there that they want to highlight the most. Um, so I, I honestly just like to listen to the client talk and tell me what's important for them um, when we're in our first meeting together. My wife, she likes shooting our food when we're on vacation, like so many people mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can't. I, I jokingly, I say she has not photographed the meal she hasn't that she's eaten, she, that she's eaten <laughs> in the last in the last fifteen years. Yeah, but that that's that's an overstatement. But nevertheless, the Instagram food photography is just yeah exploded, mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering that that even people who are in the food industry have an awareness of that. Of course, and I'm wondering yes. how how that colors the dialogue that you have in terms of talking about the photographs and Mm -hmm. offering something that's really kind of distinctive. Yeah. I I was actually talking to someone about this recently because with the upgrades in our phones and the cameras that are on our phones, like the food photography on your cell phone is really comparable in some ways to, to some DSLR photography, especially when you put that thing on portrait mode. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that, especially within, and I'm speaking specifically for like restaurants who may not have like the marketing budgets and the margins to like pay for, food photography or, you know, a specific photographer to come in, like, it's very easy to hire or, you know, get someone with a, just a camera phone to, to do a lot of this photography. So early on, I'm like, you know, what I create has to be distinct. It has to offer, it has to add value. Um, If they're going to be paying for a photographer to come in to do this stuff, it can't just be something that you can create on your phone. And so I think that really drove me to learn how to light um, and use strobes and create sets early on. I think in the beginning, I was really intimidated because as a lot of photographers do, they start out with natural light, right? And nothing wrong with that. Really great. Learning the concepts of shooting natural light is super important. But in order to be competitive and in order to be able to expand my photography, I knew I needed to to learn like additional skill sets. And lighting is definitely one because with natural light, you can only shoot where there is light and where, (laughs) you know, whatever conditions that restaurant affords you, whether it's their window or, you know, the back alley or whatever. So now um, I, I always shoot with, um, with strobes so that I can create the conditions and create the light that isn't dependent on time or, you know, location. That was something that was really important to me as I was branching out into my photography to have that skill set so I can offer more flexibility to my clients and be able to shoot and create, be able, being able to create uh, the mood and the scene for them, um, regardless of of time of day, and yeah, be able to to go above and beyond what really someone with an iPhone could maybe make. Yeah, because I look at you. I, I opened up your website, and within a couple of pictures, it was just I just it was so delicious. 
just oh, looking thank at you. it. Just like, one of the things I like about your work is not just the way that you use the light, but that when it comes to your post-processing, it's subtle. Mm. Right? It, it doesn't come across, oh, yeah, this is processed and she mm. filters and stuff like that. Mm. And I was wondering in terms of, you know, we talk a lot about how to shoot food, you know, in terms of light, but in terms of finding your own voice when you're, when you're pro- post-processing, talk yeah. to us about what that's like and what, what you use. Well, in my post-processing, I I am using Lightroom. Um, I really like being able to, well, first of all, I shoot in RAW and then I shoot tethered. So being able to see everything and be able to batch edit has been really helpful. I do try to, I I like that you say that it's minimally processed because I do try to get most of my lighting and you know, everything that I want to perfect in the image in camera. So whether that's, you know, doing that in studio with strobes and moving things around so that it's as close to what I imagined as possible, that is a goal of mine. So that when I'm in post-processing, I don't need to be doing like hours and hours of work to like color correct or, you know, uh, you know, with food photography, you're always cleaning up little things. Um, but even when I'm working on set with stylists to really try and clean up everything as much as possible so that the post-processing uh, is minimal. But once I am in post-processing, a majority of what I'm doing is like co- correcting for color. Mm-hmm. Um, because with food, that's really important. When you get a really crazy neon green in your salad, that's just like unnatural, unappetizing. Um, so really, it's it's a lot of color correcting. Um, and for me and my personal taste, like I really like to bump up a lot of the clarity and that contrast. Because I, I think where I'm at right now, I'm I I, I like the more contrast, uh, more contrasty type of editing. Um, I, I do like deep shadows. I do like hard light. I, I, that look is something I think I'm gravitating towards right now. Um, but ask me again in like a year, maybe I'll completely change my mind. But right yeah. now, that's where I'm at. Do you find that your clients are, are entrusting you with that, with that full interpretation of, of the product of their, of their food all the mm-hmm. way into your post-processing? It's not like you're, they're saying, okay, give us the raw files and we'll deal with it. Yeah, no, I I do it all the way to the end and I give them the final the final product. I like to be upfront about like what the final product will look like and that's why I think it's so important to communicate in the pre-production phase where they're looking at the mood board and I'm presenting them these are the things that I'll you know, more or less create for you. Um, so they're not getting an image back and being like, "Whoa, we didn't think it was going to look like this." You know, mm. I don't minimize any surprises. But yeah, they most of my clients. I don't. I haven't had to drop raw files to anyone in years. I think the last time I did it was it was a it was a commercial shoot and it was an agency and they required raw photos. But m- most of the time, yeah, a majority of the time, I'm I'm post processing for clients as well. What is a unique or an, or special food experience that you've had that would only have happened with you being a, a photographer? Huh. Well, I've gotten to be in a lot of kitchens behind the scenes watching chefs prep. And those are moments that normally you don't get to see as a as a consumer, as a diner, because that's all the prep that happens before you walk in. And so getting to see chefs break down like whole animals, getting to see them do all of their crazy knife skills. I, I like just being around people when they're it's it's like the moments that you never see because normally what I'm shooting is really the final product, you know, like the the dish or yeah, basically the end product is what I'm photo- uh, photographing. But I find so much interest in seeing the process. And so I get to see all of that because I'm, you know, hanging out with hanging out at the at the restaurant as they're creating these things for me. And in fact, I like shooting those things because I think oftentimes people don't know how food is made. People don't understand like, oh, that's the ingredient that's going in there. Oh, that's how my soup is getting. It's like umami. Like I, I like those stories. I like yeah. to be able to share the process as much as I like sharing the final product. So that's definitely a cool one. I've been on some projects where I've gotten to stay at like cool locations because of my job, like shooting at like vineyards or, you know, I got to stay at like a hot spring hotel up in Calistoga 
because we were shooting the restaurant there. So like, there's like some fun, like media perks and like job perks like that, (laughs) that, you know, I otherwise wouldn't have had. And just meeting cool people. I think that's, that's, that's the main thing. Just like meeting chefs, writers, stylists, like people that I, you know, would love, like, even if I was not a photographer, would love to be around, would love to pick the brain of just because I find what they do so interesting. I can only imagine that your the way that you experience food, not just taste it, has, has been mm-hmm. shaped by this. I'm not a food photographer, but I certainly remember my best experiences. And when I first went to Italy, mm-hmm. oh, my lucky. God, it was, it was I, I was never much of a fan of Italian food here. I see. I, and I went to Italy. And it was like every meal that I had there was an experience. It like rocked your world. Oh, and when I came back, our friends wanted to take us to an Italian restaurant. And I just wanted to say no. (laughs) Because I knew knew that the first bite, I was going to be so disappointed. I mean, I was happy with a breakfast of olive oil with mozzarella and and, 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 and these fresh tomatoes. And I was like, I'm good. I don't need anything else. Yeah. so I, how has being able to taste amazing food, has yeah. it really bastardized your tongue where you can't, where you find it difficult to just go out with your friends and just have a burger or well, or just something just average and normal? Well, no, because honestly, okay, I, I, I people ask me this because they assume actually that like, well, if you're shooting restaurants, they're probably restaurants that are like high end restaurants or people that are doing, you know, Michelin star stuff because they're like, you know, need marketing material or whatever. But in fact, I, I shoot like all sorts of different types of restaurants that range in price point. And like, I think they're all wonderful. Like, I think there's a misconception that like, Oh, like that burger, it's just like a, you know, regular burger. Like that obviously can't be as delicious as that, like $300 tasting menu. And I completely disagree with that. Like I have eaten delicious things everywhere I go. And like, I don't think food photography has made me more like, I don't know, I guess, unwilling to try all sorts of different things just because, you know, some of the clients may be more high end or like the food is, you know, fancier. Uh, I've found that I've just gotten a greater appreciation in general of food because now I understand, oh, like so much more went into that dish than I, I knew before. Like when I find out that, like you said, you know, like those tomatoes that you had in Italy, if you find out that like, wow, there's like a family farm that like has been giving this restaurant their tomatoes for years. And like, this is how they grow it. And this cheese comes from the dairy farmer that raises goats that only eat like I don't know, like almonds, <laughs> like you, you start to be like, wow, like I, I don't know, like you, you see the food as more than just like sustenance or like something that's tasty. Like you, you, you appreciate the whole process of eating a lot more. Um, and I think that's what food photography has done for me. So now when I do eat, I, I, I want to know about like, you know, I want to know more about the dish that I'm having, yeah. um, regardless of price point or. Well, I want to get real basic with you. Mm -hmm. I I want you to share with me, what is your, like, your comfort food? What is your go-to that you just, when you're just just in the mood for something, it's, that's the thing you you like to go to. Do you have something like that? Yeah, I'm just going to take the category of noodles. And that's, (laughs) that's my, that's my go-to. Like, I just love noodles. So like, whether that's like pasta, or that's like pho, or ramen, or beef noodle soup, like, I love me some noodles, and especially soup noodles. I'll say like Asian soup noodles. Man, I can name so many, but like that whole category of soup noodles is what I go for. And then I would say... I'm I'm quite the chocolate aficionado. I always have bar chocolate with me. Always dark chocolate. That's my other go-to food. And dumplings. Oh yeah. All sorts of dumplings. I'm gonna have to look you up oh, next time in San yeah. Francisco so you can tell me where to go. Please, I could get you a list right now. I have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? 
Well, I really want to shout out my photography mentor, Maren Caruso, the one that I first interned with and the one who really introduced me to this world. Her work is phenomenal. And I, you know, when I see it, it's just like, to me, like what creativity and being able to produce what you love looks like. And she is so wildly creative. If you want to check it out, it's MarinCaruso.com, M-A-R-E-N. C-A-R-U-S-O.com. Her conceptual food photography will like blow you away. Like some of the things she thinks of is uh, I'm just really inspired by and the way that she forms and shapes light. Like I've seen her do this when I was at her studio. I'm just like, how did you think of that? That's that's so crazy. And she works with incredible stylists as well. Uh, so please check her out. Does amazing work. And I guess I'll also shout out the two... Um, photographers I got to work with recently when I was featured uh, on Lightroom, Summer Murdoch and Jennifer Chong. Uh, Summer is a portrait photographer, specializes in doing natural light photography with children as well. The tones that she achieves is is incredible and really, really beautiful and moody. And I really uh, enjoy her work. And then Jennifer, Jennifer Chong does beautiful food photography as well. And I got to chat with her about her commercial work. And she just has a really bright, clean body of work uh, within food. So I check her out as well. Cool. Well, thank you, Erin. It was, I really enjoyed talking with you. It was so much fun. Likewise. Thank you. I appreciate it so much for uh, just being able to chat with you and being featured. Thanks to Erin for joining us. You can find out more about her and her work by visiting erinning.com. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Louise Grauer, Julie Garcia, Tracy Malib, and Yao Yuchun for their recent contributions. I'm also going to be leading my Using Your Life to Jumpstart Your Photography online workshop in May. Find out more by clicking on the link on the website, the show notes, or visit nobechicreative.com. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ebody and X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>